0: We're in a new series uh, on the spiritual gifts. So we're really excited, this is week two. Uh, And um, yeah, as we opened last week, let me just get into it. Spiritual gifts, uh, they're not natural gifts that you're born with. They're not acquired gifts that you work over time, but spiritual gifts are divine uh, abilities. They're, They're gifts that are empowered Uh, by God himself, God the Holy Spirit, to supernaturally enable us to with power serve and strengthen his church. And so um, it's really exciting. And and what we said last week is they are meant to complement spiritual disciplines. So spiritual disciplines are the means by which Uh, Ordinary Christians throughout the century have have learned to abide in Jesus, things like Bible study, prayer, fasting. These are the disciplines of, of how we commune with God. And so a Christian is someone who communes with God. And when they're communing with God, God grows their character called spiritual fruit. And so we have spiritual fruit. So I'm talking about how do we live the spirit-filled life? So the, a Christian is someone who has the Holy Spirit in them, who while they're communing with God through disciplines are experiencing change in their lives. And then gifts are supernatural abilities given to that believer full of the Holy Spirit who's abiding in God, listening to God and wants to love God's people. They get extreme power to build up others and love others and, and all that kind of thing. So that's what we, we did all of that last week. Um, now, if you're brand new to Christianity or even new to the Bible, you're like, what is he talking about? This already got weird. It didn't. Um, let me just explain it this way. Jesus, who is fully God, came to live and show us what God is like. Hebrew says he's the radiance of the glory of God. And it's interesting because Jesus, who was God, Became fully man and he lived his life filled with the Holy Spirit. What's interesting is before he's baptized and the Spirit comes upon him, he hasn't cast out demons, he hasn't done any teaching, he hasn't raised the dead, he hasn't done miraculous gifts of healing. Um, He is just communing with the Father. But when the Spirit comes, he uses all spiritual gifts and he shows us what the Christian life will look like. And then, really powerfully, after he rises from death and procures salvation. So if you're brand new on the cross, Jesus dies for our sin. He rises again. That means your sins were paid. Jesus' death paid sins penalty, which means if you have Jesus, you have forgiveness, you have right standing with God. But when he ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples, it's better that I go because I'm going to be with you always. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And then In the early church, the Spirit descends on the church. The Holy Spirit comes into you if you believe in Jesus. And the Bible says you've been given gifts to use. And so let me just give you a great verse. So Jesus says in John 14 this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, which means the local church will be able to do everything Jesus did. The you, by the way, I say to you is plural. Plural. It's to, it's to the disciples, to those who will be building and launching the church uh, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the father. Okay, so uh, really exciting. Uh, this will lead us to, to uh, 1 Corinthians. So let me tell you a little bit about where we're going over the next you know, few weeks so that if you're like, this is really cool, I wanna learn about this, you at least know what Sunday's to come. So... Um, Beginning today, our commitment is to uh, walk through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 exegetically. What that means is we're going to unpack the meaning and the message of those chapters verse by verse. So we're going to begin doing that today. We're going to look at the first seven verses. And then, starting next week, for three weeks, we're going to camp and pause in verses 8 to 12. We're going to look at the spiritual gifts mentioned there as well as all the spiritual gifts mentioned in the old testament and new testament so next week we're going to spend that week and the next three weeks unpacking 21 spiritual gifts okay we're going to ask what are the spiritual gifts and we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to show you your spiritual gifts. We're gonna talk about the purpose and all those gifts. What do those gifts look like in your life? How do you know you have those spiritual gifts? What are they gonna look like when you see them manifest here at the Shore Church? So it'll be really cool. You'll get to discern and know, and, and I'm gonna freak you all out because here's what I'm gonna do. So we'll see who comes next week. <laughs> is, is if the Holy Spirit shows you and you know you have the spiritual gift and there's a consistent pattern in your life, I'm actually gonna have you stand. And we're gonna have you come to the front and the elders, we're gonna pray for you and ask the Holy Spirit to show you where to use those gifts in the church because one of the subtitles is experiencing profound joy through what? Practicing the gifts. One of the greatest commands we saw last week was that we're called by God to use our spiritual gifts, to practice them. So yeah, you're excited. Let's go, let me pray. So today's the first seven verses. We really need to set the stage Uh, Again, for spiritual gifts, and we're gonna look at a few things, but um, let me pray, we should pray. Okay, Father, I just thank you that you are with us, that you are here by the way of your spirit, that this, that Holy Spirit, you are in this room, in every believer, and Lord, I pray for those who are not believers, that they would experience a, a profound work of your spirit today, and those of us who have the Holy Spirit, who love you, Jesus, who just got done singing with you and we found ourselves going, I love him. And I just, I pray that you would really minister to us today, I pray you'd teach us today. We need teaching today. And I also pray Holy Spirit for those of us who um, are, are really longing for this series, that maybe we just haven't had or experienced any power in our lives as Christians that you would just stir in us this this heart of obedience. And if there's repentance in this room that needs to happen in hearts today, I pray that you would by your spirit do that. And we just, we wanna know that you're real. Uh, And we know you are, but we just wanna experience you this morning. So I ask Holy Spirit that you would use me and the gifts you've given me. And I pray for this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so super important is context, okay? So if we're gonna study this whole, uh, you know, these three chapters, we wanna know context as we pick up these verses. Um, Not only the context of where because you can tell chapter 12 is not chapter one, uh, where in this whole letter in the Bible, uh, this fits, but also like who and why and, and all that of First Corinthians. So I need you to kind of put your like, I want to learn hat on about context, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, let me just give you some. So Paul is writing this letter. It's one of the earliest letters we have uh, in around 53, 54 AD. It's so early that Paul says in First Corinthians 15, somewhere you were there, you saw him risen from the... From the dead, he's like, you can just go ask this guy who saw Jesus risen from death. So it's that early in our manuscripts of uh, of a letter. So it's early. It's predominantly written to a church in Corinth. Corinth was very uh, Gentile based. They weren't. They didn't grow. That means they didn't have any, you know, Old Testament background. They weren't Jews. They didn't know Jesus is their Messiah. They're learning how that's all working. Um, but nonetheless, what's happening is God is exploding in, in in just seeing many of the Gentiles come to Christ. And it's it's really messy. It's one of the messiest letters because God's saving the, this church out of sexual cults, idol worship, Greek mythologies, and ideologies. Um, and, and so he's addre- he literally, it's just like sh- almost like shotgun. He's, all the commentators are like, he's just addressing one thing after another because of how messy this church is. He hits stuff uh, like divisions in the church of people who thinks, you know, they're more spiritual because, you know, they follow this person. And and then there's issues on like incest, uh, issues on litigations. They're all suing each other. There's issues on church discipline uh, because of ongoing prostitution and sexual sin. The church was just embracing it. Uh, and he's, so he's just, he's addressing it all theologically uh, from orderly worship to marriage to resurrection, 1 Corinthians twelve. So our chapter, as we be open it up, comes right after a discussion on the Lord's Supper and how to take it right and orderly. Because this church was showing up, and not only were they getting drunk on communion, so they're like, "Oh, let's have a Lord's Supper. Pour me another cup of Jesus' blood." Um, they weren't even waiting. Some of the, some of them were like, "Hey, shouldn't the whole church be here?" And they're like, "No, no. Let's just get started." And so they were just they were entering all these kind of issues, bringing their pagan. But they but they were full of the Holy Spirit. They wanted to learn. About Jesus. They needed teaching. It was really messy. So, Paul, he's a great apostle. He loves them and he wants to help them see that great spirituality is found greater in Christ and in holiness. And here's how do you do this this, 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 including spiritual gifts because there was so much pride, so much pagan worship coming in. There was so much spiritual misunderstanding, triumphalism, which was the culture of Corinth in that day, and a lot of fanaticism around who had more spiritual gifts, which ones were better. Uh, and so that's just the context. At least you can just see it's it's a messy book. And I would encourage you if this, you know, especially if you're a member of the church and you're like, I'm here every week, come in, uh, read First Corinthians. It, it will really just help you get a, Oh, I think I, I know Paul's heart here. So, um, but you know what? Here's the good news, especially if you're new and a friend just invited you. Uh, Jesus knew we'd be messy when he died for us. Like one of the greatest, you, know, you could preach a whole sermon on the first chapter um, on just this one verse where Paul's like, I thank my God for the growth the Spirit's doing in your life. Like he just looks for evidences of God's grace in this church because God was moving in this church. And if you become a Christian, it's not gonna be like all at once, everything works great. It's going to be messy. It's gonna be messy. So, okay, good. Let's read our passage. And then at least you can get a sense of what I'm gonna be teaching. So here we go. First one, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, To each is given the manifestation of the spirit purpose for the common good. Okay, those are going to be our verses. So here's how we're going to do it. Paul's going to give every local church three principles for spiritual gifts. So here they are. Number one, he's going to give us a criteria for discerning spiritual gifts. Before a local church can see all 21 gifts manifesting in a healthy, proper, right-ordered way, he's saying you need a criteria for discerning spiritual gifts. Number two, there's a call, and this word's chosen very carefully, to uphold, to really value the diversity of spiritual gifts. And then we're gonna look at third, a clear purpose. For spiritual gifts, so we need, so we as the Shore Church, because we're not just going to learn, we're going to be practicing the gifts, we're going to use the Holy Spirit's with us and in us, and so we need to, as a body, almost not feel like you're listening to a sermon, but like we're in a big living room, coolest living room ever, um, and and we need to talk about, okay, we need to talk about how do we discern our spiritual gifts? We need to talk about the the goal of diversity and the goal of every spiritual gift. Okay, we're on the same page. Good. Let's start. Uh, criteria for discerning. Spiritual gifts. Look at verse one. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. By the way, some manuscripts say brothers and sisters. So the whole church, it's, it's really important when it comes to all the spiritual gifts that we know and embrace, God gives them to all. Gender has nothing to do with God's work through the gifts. That his that gifts are for everyone, male, female, young and old, uh, there is, when you get to offices and roles in the scripture, gender has design and has a place, but all the gifts are for everyone. Okay, let's keep going. That was not part of the point. Um, but I do not want you to be uninformed. Okay, in what way? Tell us more. He says this, you know that when you were pagans, pagans, by the way, is just a, uh, a word they simply used that meant not Jewish people. Later, it was a term Christians often talked about of life before knowing Jesus. So he's saying to them, remember before you knew, loved and followed Jesus, he says, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Okay, very interesting. He says they were led astray to mute idols. Mute idols, mute in the sense that what? They can't talk, so they're not living, right? Like, you know, you can imagine they were made of wood, stone, clay, However, notice he says, they're still being led astray. Led astray. When you look up this word, led astray, anywhere else in the Bible, uh, it speaks of those being dragged, um, captured and dragged into prison. Uh, you can look in like Mark 14, for example. Um, and I want you to think about that. He says, before you were, before you were following Jesus, You were being captured. These mute idols dragged you away and enslaved you. But they're mute and they're dead. So the question then is, in what way were they led? Like, who led them? Idols are mute, they can't speak, so who's leading them? Was it their hearts? Was it their hearts or is there more going on here? Well, let's first, we need to answer this because we want to teach this Uh, with great clarity, we need to ask this question, what's an idol? An idol... Was something that represented an element of the earth, or a need, or a desire, um, like take beauty, or fertility, or success. Um, and so they were these so-called gods that people looked to to get those things that they sacrificed to. They would offer their resources to in order to give them a sense of meaning, of well-being, of goodwill, of blessing. Um, you know, then then the god of you know the sun would rain on them. Um, it, they also would sacrifice because they feared them the most. They didn't want to lose favor from them. And so an idol, now listen, this is really important, especially if, you're, if, if, if you have a heart, which you all do. So uh, a soul, an idol is whatever you look at and say, in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel like my life has meaning. An idol is anything that you say, if I have that, then I'll know I have value, I'll have significance, I'll be okay, I'll have get blessing, I'll get goodwill, so anything you seek to give you, really only what God can give you is an idol. It can't speak, but it it's, it's pulls you, it captures you. He says they were led astray. And listen, they had many places to go. They had, they had sex gods, they had work gods, war gods, money gods, nation gods, for the simple fact that anything can become a God that rules and serves as a deity in your heart of a person or in the life of a people. So example, take beauty. Right? Beauty is a good thing. God is beautiful. He made us in his image. He created the world to be beautiful. It's a pleasant thing. But as one puts it, if you deify it, if you make beauty the most important thing in your person's life or in a culture, then you don't just have a love of beauty, you have Aphrodite. And this is the power of idols. But, okay, there's more. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, there's more. There's more. Yeah, I'm just gonna keep you awake. Uh, because earlier in chapter 10, so you've, so you're, you know, you're reading first Corinthians, Paul taught the Corinthian church that behind idols themselves and the competing systems of worship were actually fallen angels and demons that love to promote and glory in false worship. Demons want to take you away from anything that would lead you towards the true living God. So here, here's what he says. Listen to what he says. He says, "In this is 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 19. It'll be on the screen. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? So he's like, no. Like food offered to a stone is, any, no, it's not. But listen to what he says. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offered to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. He's talking to the church. So just because idols can't think or speak doesn't mean that they're not used by very active and thinking beings with destructive plans for those they can deceive and control. He says, you used to worship the way the pagans do. You were led away by demons. Now notice, to ecstasies and enthusiasm that characterized your mystic religion. In other words, they carried you away. You, you gave up your will to them. they their pagan services also had supernatural activity. Their pagan worship services would also have manifestations of utterances. And he says, that's, ha- that's happening. And now you're in the local church and things were happening. And so you just thought, hey, let's just, let's have everything like this. He's like, no, 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 no. There's a way, there's a criteria to discerning something here because listen, they were experiencing some of the same things. His point is this, it's not pure evidence that the Holy Spirit's working if they're simply tongue-inspired type speech. For Paul, it's not, now this is really important, for Paul, it's not, is there experiences happening, but rather, if the source is from God, there will be intelligible Christ's exalting content, okay? Let me me teach more, here's how he says it. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So, So let me just say this point in a different way. Paul's call for the church, for the short church, when it comes to some of the more spectacular gifts Uh, more of the revelatory gifts, we'll get to those, um, is that we test. This is why the spiritual gift of discernment of spirits is really important, one he's gonna mention in here, that we test its source. There needs to be a criteria, because of demonic presence and the reality of the spiritual realm, of discernment. We saw this in First John. This isn't new. In First John four, we read this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. In First Thessalonians 5 21, Paul says, Do not despise prophecy, but he says, test everything, and hold fast to what is good. So short church, hear me on this. Our call. Now can now especially if you're like, haha, see, this is good. Whew. Uh no, 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 no. Listen. Our call is not to dismiss or stop experiences, but to discern its source. We must not say no to experience. We need to say why, what, who, and when. We're gonna, we'll talk about how to do all that. But here's his point. The key short church is no matter what gift it is, the first test, and this is obvious, but it's like, it is obvious but it gets lost in some really far Pentecostal environments. The first test of, op, of, of the operation of any gift is its connection with the authoritative revealed word of God. More specifically, all gifts are meant to communicate the life-changing truths of Jesus. They're meant to build you up into Jesus. They're meant to, when you're receiving them and you're experiencing them, strengthen you with great intelligibility to the person and work of Christ. That's what strengthening and the common good is, is you're becoming more and more like Jesus. You're seeing more of him. The gospel is being more applied. All of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, I feel like Jesus is like standing right next to me when you said that or, or, or when you prayed for healing, it was like Jesus just touched my entire body and I could, I could walk. Again. Like this, like Jesus was ministering to them as if Jesus was standing next to you. That's what the spiritual gifts are meant to do. They, they're meant to exalt you towards Christ. He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. See, to say Jesus is Lord, especially in first century meant everything because you would lose your money, your family, your status, all of it to say Jesus is Lord because if you didn't say Caesar was Lord or other gods were also okay, you would be in huge trouble. To say Jesus is Lord meant that you were truly a believer Um, here's how Gordon Fee summarizes this. Might be helpful, more helpful than my preaching. The presence, you can read on the screen, of the spirit and power and gifts makes it easy for God's people to think of the power and gifts as the real evidence of the spirit's presence. Not so for Paul. The ultimate criterion of the spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. Whatever takes away from that, that's the key, by the way. Whatever takes away from that even if they be legitimate expressions of the spirit, begins to move away from Christ to a more pagan fascination with spiritual activity as an end in itself. Gifts, very important, because we're gonna experience them together. Gifts are not about experiencing, but about exalting Christ. This whole idea of saying Jesus is a curse, there's so much... I read, and you can read. And there's so much debate about this. So I'll give you a few little snapshots. One, this actually is, um, to say Jesus is a curse was a word that the Jews would use out of Deuteronomy. It was actually the word anathema, which means like you're cursed. And it comes from Deuteronomy where it says, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. So if you imagine for the Jewish people who don't believe that Jesus is their Messiah, you have a whole like a world view, like the whole nation of Israel, like in droves and Gentiles were becoming Christians, worshiping a man who claimed to be God, who, who where did he die? On a tree. And, and the Jews have Deuteronomy going like, cursed is the man who dies on a tree. So they're saying, they would say Jesus is accursed. They wouldn't worship Jesus. Many of the Jews were like, no way our Messiah was that guy because we have Deuteronomy. What they didn't read and see is the gospel was, was explaining all throughout their book was Isaiah 53, that it was our curses that the Messiah would die. So he wasn't, it wasn't his curse, he wasn't cursed. He was dying to pay for our curse, our sin that we owed. And that's the good gospel, but, but th- that's one idea. So th- actually, one, some commentators are like, they actually had people in their church who are Jews, Jews, and they were, they were starting to, in tongues, start blaspheming Jesus. Um, most commentators agree that this is Paul's shocking metaphor for saying anything that doesn't have clear content that exalts Christ is not okay. You with me on that? So what does this look like? Because we just said, we gotta, well, we're gonna look at each gift and we'll add it when it, when necessary. But let me just say this. Discerning begins when you discern both in motive and activity. This is Jesus going to be intelligible and experienced and treasured through the power flowing through me. Okay. This all intro. So we're going to build on this. Okay. So if you're brand new, you're like this, I need more information. Each sermon will be like Lego. We're going to build on each other. So you have to listen to the last one. I don't usually plug my old sermons, but this time I am. Okay. Um, Number two, how to do gifts right in the church. We need to uphold the diversity of spiritual gifts. So Paul goes on in verse four. Here's what he says. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Notice a word that's repeated three times. It starts with V, letter V. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. This is... Paul's emphasis three times, he uses this word varieties, varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries. This word uh, for uh, the last one, activities, means effects. There's a variety of ways that God affects these gifts, which means not only like, like, do some spiritual gifts have the same kind of way that they come out, their effects will be very different. Different degrees, different uh, levels according to your faith. One verse will say, um, but, but, but here's his point. In God's church, at the shore church, there's a need of beauty in diversity. There, the, meaning um, nothing reflects the Trinity more when all of God is being manifest in a way that is in diversity and interdependence and love for one another. Okay, why did you bring the Trinity in here? So let me show you, look, it's the varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. That's our word for Christ. And there's a variety of activities, but it's the same God. The Trinity is here. So we'll get to this in the coming weeks, but, but, but when he uses the analogy of the different body parts, like, like how should the hand say to the foot, I have no need of you. When he gets into that analogy his point is you will never one day be afoot and then wake up a hand the next day. You've been given gifts because you were meant to be interdependent as a church to display the beauty and the wonders of God in three in one. Equal, so every gift is equal, but diverse. Because this church was saying these gifts are spiritual. You, if you have these spiritual gifts they would even say, You don't even need the resurrection, which is why Paul gets into resurrection right after this. And he's like, No, no, no. Every gift is equal and it's needed. I believe the Holy Spirit in every local church has all 21 gifts. So I believe in this ministry, there are 21 gifts in all of us. Because I just think that's how the text leans in to all, to everyone. The spirit is present in the church. We are the body of Christ. And who's the head? Christ. We have every member. Terry's pumped. All 21. All 21. All right. Where am I? Let me show you, let me show you some more. So there's not only, listen, no elitism with spiritual gifts, but spiritual gifts are intended for use within the body, often in combination with the gifts of others. One thing we're gonna see here and learn here, and you'll see, especially if you're seeing this in your community group, is these gifts are meant to be together. Okay, not everyone will have the same gift. Here's my point, and that's the way God's glorified in the church. So let me say a few things in these verses. Not only... Is there a glorious diversity? But listen to this. It was a diversity of God's sovereign choosing. Okay, really important. So look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. It's on the screen. I'll read it with you. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills this is this is amazing this is freeing this is humbling what do you mean well it's freeing not only in the sense that okay he's the one coordinating and harmonizing everything moreover it's also freeing in that we don't have to spend our life trying to be something god did not make you to be like do like let me say this way do not wish for other gifts not given to you by the spirit Don't waste your time trying to work in ministry areas that you're not gifted in. It's really important. It's really important that we give ourselves to what God has gifted you to. It really is, that's his whole point of the body, okay? I know what you're all thinking, so I'll answer that in a second, but it's real, let me say this is really important first. It's really important that we give ourselves to what God has gifted us to do. Think about it in this way. How many of you, you're that person at Christmas where you know someone so well and that you're, you're, you're like the really good gift giver. Like every year, everyone's like, how did you know, like I was going this, you know, in a month, I'll be here, here and here and I needed this. You're like, I just, I know you, like, I'm crazy. I like, how, what did you get me? Oh, a magazine, cool. You always have that friend. We're like, you know them way too well and they give you nothing because they don't care about you. Um, <laughs> but you don't care, That's, you just love giving gifts. But how many of you, you're that really, like you give amazing gifts, just own it. Own it. You're good. You're good at giving gifts. Now think about this on an infinitely eternal, wise, godlike status. God the Father has, with great care and design. Listen, design like Psalm one thirty nine. He knows he numbered your days. So listen, God knew every local church you would ever be in. He knew every person you would come in contact with. He knew every minute you would have. He in perfect designing your whole life, carefully crafted the spiritual gift he's given you, who apportions to each individual as he will. So so here this, short church, there's wisdom and intention behind the gift each of us has been given. Like there's just wisdom and divine intention. This is so important Spiritual gifts are not invented or thought up by Paul or the early church. All spiritual gifts were God's idea. They're God's heart. They're God's gifts. So may we check our hearts if we're jealous, we don't like what gift he's given us, or we refuse to use them. Imagine how you would feel if you were that parent and you gave a great gift to a kid and they were like, I don't want it. I'm not going to use it. That would break your father's heart. Because he knows your life. And he knows who he's going to love through you. In connection, and this is for someone because I, I might have a gift. If you have ever felt lesser in your Christian life around other Christians, let me say that sentence again. If you have ever felt lesser in your Christian life around other Christians, you need to hear God's love and his heart to you saying, you are mine. You are not less, you are right where I want you to be and you matter and I gave you the gifts you have. You are indispensable and you're needed here. Don't allow others comments or opinions or their gifts to form your identity. Diversity active in love is to be upheld. Diversity of gifts is an indication of true spiritual life in a local church. We should see all 21 gifts manifesting. Cool. Now, more clarification. It's also very important because we're looking at the same text. We understand that everything that is not a spiritual gift is a spiritual discipline. Okay? That's so important, it's behind me. Everything that is not a spiritual gift is a spiritual discipline. What do you mean? Well, all of us are called to be like Jesus, to live like the, like the life Jesus lived by the spirit. What I'm saying is all of us are called to have faith, but not all of us have the spiritual gift of faith. All of us are called to share our faith. All of us are called to, to, to reach our neighbors, invite them over and ask God to, to use us and to just, uh, maybe they'll come and maybe they'll hear. Like we're all called to share Christ, but some have the gift of evangelism where like they just walk on a bus and one conversation, so he's saved and they're saved. And you're just like, I always walk on buses and nothing <laughs> happens. And, 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 and all are called to pray, but there are people of the gift of intercession. All, ha- all of us have a responsibility especially when it comes to spiritual gifts, to weigh prophetic words, or is it biblical, and to, and to differentiate among spirits, but not all have the gift of discerning of spirits. Colossians 3 says, all can teach. You all can teach, and the Holy Spirit will use the word of God. All of you can teach, and the Holy Spirit will use the word of God. I'm gonna say it three times. All of you can teach. But not all have the gift of teaching. All may have wisdom. You're called to have wisdom. Ephesians 1.17 says the wisdom is in the word of God. We're all called to use the Proverbs. We're all called to all the things of a living a spirit-filled life. But some have a spiritual gift of words of wisdom. So, so, so we can't like you know, make gifts too big. Just, are you with me on this? It's really important. I'm helping us categorize some things. But let me say this, because we're talking about spiritual gifts. When you have a gift, it is more than a common shared duty... It is what God has empowered you to do with greater frequency and power. Let me say that again. It's what God has empowered you to do with greater frequency and power. As one put it, you know it's a gift when you can do it over the long haul with joy, without duty, and with heaven-given results in many forms. Many of us, just so you know, you use spiritual gifts, you don't even know. Like, it's not like this is new for the shore. Like, we've always been, the Holy Spirit's always been using spiritual gifts. And some of you don't even know your spiritual gifts, but you've been using them your whole life as a Christian. And this will be really exciting for you to know what they are. Okay, so we're not saying spiritual gifts replace universal Christian responsibility. We're all clear on that, right? Yes, yes, James. Because like, we're in the living room. I need your help. So, you know, Um, so here's another question that comes up in my two minutes and 14 seconds. If you, if you, I still have a third point. If you, though, let's see, we'll get to it. Um, here's a question. If you've ever used a spiritual gift, is it true that you can always use it? No. And yes. What? I know. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to help us. So. Let me explain. I was helped this week, many resources, everything I say, I've been learning. But many people have mistakenly believed that if you've prophesied once, you can prophesy at will. Or if you've you prayed and someone got healed, you can heal at will. The issue at stake here is whether a spiritual gifts are permanent. Okay, I'll show you this. Here, here's what are they permanent? what some have called residential, or are they occasional and circumstantial? So can we say, for example, I used Jill this morning when I was talking to her about it. Can we say Jill has a spiritual gift of prophecy if she's prophesied once, or is Jill in a certain moment, she was praying for someone and God just started giving her verses for that person or even a picture that she saw that's never happened before before, but it was for a specific occasion at a time where God really wanted to encourage this person? So can we say that it's simply that someone uses a gift? Do you have gifts or, or do they come through you when you need them as your loving people? That's a good question, we wanna know that. So here's my best answer, <laughs> okay? And it's I want to, I've been, My job is to show you from the Bible. So I'm not gonna share all these verses, but if you like, wanna jot them down and look them up, you can test me in this. Um, So here's a few biblical passages to help us answer. There are some passages like we just looked at that suggest permanency. So if you look at verse eight, it's not up there for you, but it says, it picks it up, for to one is given. We looked at verse 11, it says to each. Okay. Moreover, Romans 12 says having a spiritual gift. In 1 Corinthians 14, 28, Paul seems to envision the possibility of knowing whether or not the gift of interpretation is in the gathering. So he's like, if someone knows they have that. Similarly, in 1 Timothy, and this is a strong one, one of the verses you probably looked at in your community group, but Paul exhorts Timothy not to neglect the spiritual gift. He says, literally, within you. But he's like, he's like, immerse yourself, like practice it. 2 Timothy 1.6 says this, for this reason, this might be up here, maybe not. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, and here's what he says, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. Later in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that some people have titles that describe spiritual functions like teachers and evangelists and prophets. So there's there's an answer. On the other hand, or more, Paul consistently uses uh, in Romans 12 and in our text, for example, this word apportions is a continual tense, meaning like they keep coming, which seems to suggest that gifts are also and can be bestowed to meet needs in a moment. So I'm gonna teach this with greater clarity, but prophecy, for example, is dependent on the spontaneity of revelation. Like in 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty, we read this, if a revelation is made to another... Evidently, prophecy cannot be exercised at will. Like the spirit will give a picture, but you can't create the picture. Like it's not on will. Uh, It's a word for a specific moment. So to practice prophecy, it's never okay to say, let's practice prophecy. Okay, we'll get there, I'm sorry, but we're going there. But, But, like you can't just turn it on but to practice prophecy is this. When God does give you something, is to share it. Practicing is you ask, why are you showing me this? Is it to pray? Is it to share with them? That's practicing. Is it for the whole church? Is it something I need to, to share to the whole body? Is this from the Lord? Do we need So same with healing. Healing is always subject to the sovereign will of God. So for example, I believe, and we'll get here. I'm sorry, I'm gonna teach, pre-teach. Anyways, uh, I believe that, In a certain situation, you can ask the Holy Spirit for a gift of healing. And while you're praying for healing, that we should all pray for healing. And he may through you at a time heal. Some people have the gift of healing where they more as a pattern in their life. When they pray for healing, people get healed, but not every time. And it's up to the sovereign will of God. And that has to be taught well, and it has to be discipled well, those who have that spiritual gift. And I believe some of you do. So I'm excited to... See the Holy Spirit manifest that. Now, so what's our answer? Here's the best answer. The best answer is to say that some gifts, such as teaching, leadership, we'll talk a lot about these gifts tongues, mercy, administration, wisdom, knowledge, they're more likely permanent. And when asking the Holy Spirit, will you help me love this person, can be exercised as you're building others up. You can grow at it. You can immerse yourself in it in a consistent way where other gifts, such as more of the revelatory gifts like prophecy, miracles, or or healings, are subject to the sovereign purpose, mission, and timing of the Holy Spirit. Does that help? Okay. So we have a criteria, we have a call to uphold diversity. Last thing, really quick what's the goal? We, we've hit this many Sundays. We'll hit this every Sunday so I can go through this and skip a few of my notes. But he says this, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. If you're a community group leader or a Christian, memorize that verse. Okay, gifts. Here's the point. It'll be on the screen. Show it. The, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Gifts are given to be given. They're not primarily for the benefit of the individual, but they're to build others up. It's awesome, in Romans one, in verse 11, Paul says, I long to see you that I may use my gifts to strengthen you. Like, is that how we talk? Like, I can't wait to come over tonight to use my gifts to strengthen you. That's how every Christian should live their life. Like, oh, I'm coming over. I might have a spiritual gift that will strengthen you. That's weird. Let's go. I thought we were just gonna go see a movie. Well, I might pray for healing before we get in there. Um, but but that's, that's what the church is meant. To, spiritual gifts are meant to strengthen. This has to be our motivation. Um, it, it can't be, you cannot be here in this church with this like, you know what? I can't wait to see spiritual gifts or I wanna learn my gifts more than I cannot wait to see Christ being formed in other people. Like the goal has to be, we're gonna become more like Christ in a more powerful way. Like this is really exciting. I mean, this is how we grow. Where can I build and strengthen and meet someone's needs? Like help me, God, I wanna do this. Like here's another verse, verse 12 of chapter 14 says this, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, he says, strive to excel in building up the church. So here's how we're gonna close. I'm going to have Jill and Eric come up. You guys can come up right now. Um, I'm not going to pray or anything because I want you to close the service. So I want to ask you some hard questions, but, but they're, they're pastorally purpose to prepare you for the next few weeks. And I need you to ask the Holy Spirit right now to reveal the answers to you. So I'm gonna give you a moment and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, will you show me the answers to these questions? Here's the first question. Do you think right now because of your gifts, your age, your gender, education, or by your experience that you are better than anyone else in this church? This is a motive question. And our motives need to be brought to Jesus. I need to confess to you, I've sinned. I've committed this many times as a pastor. And it's so ugly and the Holy Spirit showed me. You've elevated the gift of teaching. You've elevated certain gifts. And that's pride, that's self-sufficiency. And I hate it and I'm gonna repent with you. Paul says every gift is valuable and he's saying you need to see every gift is valuable. Second question, would you be willing to allow God to really tell you what you think about people? And then would you be willing for him to set you free so you can be a person of power? Lastly, are you a person who thinks of yourself as less and you've placed yourself in this bubble as someone who's not needed? Or maybe you're unsure of God wanting to use you. You compare yourself to others, you judge everyone too much. If that's you, that's another side of pride, it's not true. And you need to bring that to him. Or maybe you're here and you wanna use your gifts, but you're afraid to look stupid you're afraid to get it wrong or you're afraid to put yourself out there. If that's you, you have to bring that to him because you are not your gift. Like a gift is something Peter says you're to steward. And if you feel like I'm gonna look stupid if I use this gift, you need to repent of that and ask God, like bring that to him. When I say repent, I'm like, don't fear him in this weird like, But go to him and go, this is wrong. I'm really sorry. Help me. I have too much. I care too much what people think. Have you put God in a box because of fear? This is also me. I'm afraid of becoming that church. Whatever it is, you tell him. So you're going to close in prayer. And uh, when you're ready, after you've spent a time of repentance, because here's what we need to do before we go to spiritual gifts, we need to repent of all of that. We need to repent of all of that.